0: Well, we begin this series that hope is here because Christ is here. In the first week, we talked about what all the Bible has to say about hope. We looked at how... Only one hope is called the blessed hope, and that's the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the Assemblies of God, which this church is a part of, we refer to it as the imminent return. We expect the Lord to return at any moment, at any time that he could come. And so we want to live ready for that. Secondly, we looked at hope for our families, and we talked about raising our families in light of the Lord's return, to teach our children to love the thought of the Lord's return. And The ways I've tried to remind you of that each week is to say, if you love the idea of no more hungry children, if you love the idea of no more divorce, if you love the idea of no more sickness, no more crippled people, no more war, no more pollution, no more corruption, if you love the idea of people being raised from the dead to new life, you love the doctrine of the coming of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? And so we don't live in a fear of it, and we don't try to talk negatively about it, but we live with the blessed hope that the early church. Eugene Peterson said that the way we perceive the future will shape how we live our lives. It will even influence the everyday decisions that we make. I've thought often about that statement that he made as he talked about the second coming of the Lord. And if you feel hopeless about your future, and I know this was one of the things when I worked in mental health that we always talk with patients about. If you feel hopeless about the future, you lack energy, you lack drive. If you feel hopeless about the future, you feel like you're never going to accomplish anything. People give up on living or they exist. Some people even take their lives because they've lost hope about the future. The dynamism, the energy that we read about in the New Testament and that everybody talks about the early church was not only their love for Jesus, but it was that sense that they lived with of Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord. They look for Jesus to return. And because God, now listen, I don't want everyone want you to forget what I'm going to say. I prayed this over somebody last night after the prayer service. Somebody with cancer, somebody that's going through a difficult time in their life, and we talked together over the phone, and they said, Pastor, I promise you, I'm listening to the doctors, but I've determined to say only what the word of the Lord says. So we went over some promises, and I said this to him in the spur of the moment, and I'm going to say it to you this morning, God never makes a promise that God does not keep. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? God never makes a promise that God does not keep. Jesus Christ is coming again, and the church has always lived with this promise of His return. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we go to the Word of the Lord this morning. Instead of going to the New Testament, I want to go to the Old Testament this morning and talk to you about hope for our community. When this prophecy was written in the book of Jeremiah, the children of Israel were living in exile in the place that was called Babylon. Babylon was the place that represented the world systems and the world powers. You first heard about Babylon. Let's make ourselves a name. Let's build ourselves a city, lest we be scattered when God told them to scatter. And so, Babylon is that center that lives in rebellion against the will of God. The people of God had sinned mightily against the Lord, God had exiled them to Babylon, and you can read all about that in your Old Testament. And somebody was teaching them, telling them to revote. And God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Now, notice the sovereignty of God that the Lord has exiled. Babylon didn't exile them. God exiled them. God used Babylon to accomplish his will in their lives. Never forget God is in charge. So the Lord says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry, have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Somebody say, come on, victory right there. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare. And then in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes these words to us. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord that gives us wisdom for living, that sanctifies our life, Lord, that becomes a weapon in our hands as we fight against the powers of darkness, that brings comfort and hope to us, and that, Lord, gives us the energy and the drive by your Holy Spirit to live godly lives, Lord, in a society that oftentimes, O oh Lord, manifests itself in ungodliness. Help us to be salt and light, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. As a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, I have never believed in a theocratic state. Years ago, when I was in my 20s, I discovered that there were some Christians that wanted to have a theocracy, wanted to make America a theocracy. So I read some of their books. I actually went and met some of the authors of those books. And then I began to read the Puritans because of the influence of a man that pastored in Texas that had been a missionary by the name of Des Evans. I began to read the Puritans and what they said and realized the Puritans never wanted to establish a theocracy. They recognized the different spheres of influence that God had given to the church, to the family, and to the government. And those three spheres influence one another, but they don't run one another. It's not my job to manage your family. It's my job as a pastor to teach you how to lead and how to love your families. It's not my job to tell our political leaders how to govern. It is my job as a Christian and as a pastor of a local congregation to attempt to influence the leaders of our community with the word of God and with godly wisdom. I cannot be true to God or my country if I separate my faith from my politics. I cannot be true to God, and this church cannot be true to God, if we separate our faith in God from our political convictions. You see, Pastor, what does this have to do with Christmas and and hope is here? It has everything to do with it. Because I want to talk to you this morning about hope for our community in light of the coming of Christ. I've had several friends of mine that I've talked to, some who are not Christians, as we've talked about our dreams and our vision and our hope for our community. You're going to hear from some of them this morning. Some of them that you're going to hear from, they do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they hope for and work for some of the same things that we agree upon. Basically, we agree upon many things except who Jesus Christ is. Others of them belong to different denominations. I chose not to include anyone from our denomination or from one of the local churches that believe very similarly to what we do, but I chose instead to go to people who I see are leaders in our community, some who are Christians who have hope. The first person I want you to hear from is our county commissioner, Ray Basham. Would you take a look at the screen this morning?
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Ray Basham. I'm the County Commissioner for Wayne County for the 14th District. My friend, Pastor Clanton, reached out to me to see if I'd share some thoughts and hope that I have for Downriver. I think now, more than ever, it's time for us to come together as a unified community. We might live in an area that with many small towns, but we identify ourselves as Downriver. The unit that we've used gives me hope, especially considering the challenges we've had to continue to face. I'm hopeful that we will continue on as we have for the past two years in this pandemic, the care for one another. We have learned a lot about what it means to truly love thy neighbor. I hope that we will live up to that and to find ourselves in a better place. Downriver is my home. I'm proud to live here. I know that there are many others who feel the same way and I'm hopeful that our camaraderie will transcend any differences and further unite us. Thank you all, and Merry Christmas. Any differences and further unite us. Thank you all. I respect and
0: love Commissioner Basham. One of the things that I respected about him is how he's introduced me to people who don't even share our faith, but they work for the common good of our community and work together well. So the first thing I want you to take a look at, that the Bible teaches us that we are to be present and available to our community. God has not called us to be salt that stays in the salt shaker, but he wants us in our community and available to our community salt has to penetrate if it's going to flavor and preserve light has to leave the church if it's going to penetrate to the darkest corners of the earth we can neither be afraid of the corruption nor can we be afraid of the darkness but we must have a faith in god that compels us that propels us into those places sometimes that other people are fearful to go and we must also be available and present to those who share our convictions or share our hopes, but maybe don't necessarily share our convictions. Vedran Smilovic was the principal cellist for the Sarajevo Orchestra. I've told you the story before and even showed you the video of how that in Sarajevo, he was outside of a bakery when a bomb exploded during that horrible war that took place. He watched 22 people mutilated, killed, murdered there in a bakery in his town that he loved in a beautiful city and community. So he decided that every single day he would go and he would play on his cello, he would play in the midst of where the bombing and the bullets were flying. He varied his time from different parts of the day as so as to, for security reasons, but for 22 days straight in a row, he was present, he was available, and it gave people hope because he braved the bullets, he braved the bombs, he braved those that wanted to kill him as he would go out every single day. And when I look at somebody like this that's not afraid of the bullets or the bombs, I ask why some of us sometimes are even afraid to share the name of Jesus with our lost friends. One of my other friends that's very available to the community is is Rabbi Lopatian, and I'd like you to listen to what he has to say this morning.
1: Hi, this is Rabbi Asher Lopatin, and my great Deep hope for this world is that people that are really different, that have different views, different religious understandings and beliefs, different nationalities, different, different ethnic backgrounds, different races, different political views, all will come to not only appreciate each other, but understand how our differences can make us better how listening to each other, loving each other, being with people that are different can enrich our lives, can enrich our beliefs, can strengthen who we are, what we believe in, and what we cherish. So my hope is that we'll come to that realization and that realization will come true and we will grow through appreciating our diversity. The
0: rabbi is one of the most fun people to eat a meal with. Because everything has a Hebrew blessing for this word of God when you eat. And so you just had to plan a little bit longer when you have lunch with the rabbi. And I love him so much. And I appreciate his friendship. And although we don't believe in who Jesus is... What a wonderful family he has. What beautiful children, polite children, and what he's doing in our community and trying to build bridges with people that are actually his enemies because he's trying to reach out and bring shalom as he refers to it. In the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29, we read this just a few minutes ago. Where God told Jeremiah, he said, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. I love what Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, said, If you want to enrich days, then plant flowers. If you want to enrich years, plant trees. But if you wish to enrich eternity, then plant ideas in the lives and the hearts of men and women. And friends, there's no greater idea than you and I can plant in the hearts of men and women is that the reason that we work to love our community, the reason we serve our community is because God has called us not only to love Him, him and to love each other, but he's even called us to love people the way Rabbi Lopaton loves people, by loving our enemies. And Jesus teaches us there is such great power in that love. He goes on to say in that community, Jeremiah, or the Lord encourages Jeremiah, he says, teach the parents to be matchmakers. How many of you would love to pick out the son your son's wife or your daughter's husband. Of course you would. You'd love to be that one that does that. And I just saw more mamas raising their hands than I did men. Then it doesn't surprise me. But here Jeremiah encourages matchmaking among the people of God. Marry, have children, and then find spouses. You know those teenagers don't know how to find a spouse. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. There's the motivation. Multiply and do not dwindle away. Sometimes people hear messages that I think are so contradictory, and that is that as Christians, we need to be separate from the world. We need to flee the world. We need to come out of the world. Yes, we do. But what's it saying to flee? The world? Didn't Jesus say he was sending us into the world? Didn't Jesus call us to be salt and light in the world? My job is not to preserve you. My job as a pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry so that we can do what Christ did in our lost and dying world. Jesus calls us to flee the values of the world, but not abandon the communities that we live in. What I learned as a young man, and what I hope you have learned through the years, is sometimes when you're serving in the community, you pick up ideas, you pick up thoughts and influences. I've learned the power of just living and reading the Word of God and how it washes your mind and cleanses your mind. You don't plant a church in the red light district of Amsterdam. You don't plant a church in the red light districts of places like Belgium. You don't plan a church with young people and college students in there without them seeing things and having conversations that they will remember for the rest of their lives, but you teach them how to wash their minds with the word of the Lord. And when they see a prostitute or a drug addict cross a line and give their hearts to Jesus and they come back a year later with us to see how that person is being discipled, it builds their faith. Friends, God is not called us to live in the salt shaker but God has called us to go out and live in our world and secondly pray for and care for our world care for our community I think too often we undervalue the sacred nature of community I'll say it again I said it at the beginning of this series I love our community. I love where we live at. I love the people of our community. I've grown to love leaders like you're hearing from, but my neighbors and people that I meet, I have come to discover there is a sacred nature to being able to live next to someone that you trust. I've discovered there is a sacred nature to being being able to live to someone who initially doesn't want anything to do with you and then having the privilege to lead that person to Jesus Christ. I've learned the sacred nature of being in community and living with people. And I can remember as a child in the community, though it was small that we lived in, I remember those pastors that lived close by that oftentimes cared about my family and sometimes came to see us and to care for us and love us when no one could come from the city church that we attended. There was something about that little community called Rutland outside of Macon, Georgia that has grown immensely now, but when I lived there was a small but a sacred community One of my other good friends is Pastor Rick Hogan from Faith Lutheran Church. Listen to what Pastor Rick has to say.
2: Good morning, Pastor Dennis. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, Church. Loretta and I give thanks to God for your ministry to our community. We live in a world filled with unhappiness. So during Advent, we light candles. Candles shine in the darkness, even in the midst of grief and loss and pain as we wait for the one who comes to bring peace. We proclaim Jesus Christ is the light of the world, a light no darkness can overcome. Our hope and our prayer for our community is that God will give us the courage to share our light with those whose world has gone dark. Very little is certain about the world in which we live except for the promise of represented by the gospel of jesus christ god enters this time and this space in this period of history so that all flesh shall see the salvation of god god bless you merry christmas isn't that
0: powerful praying for a community that all flesh all flesh would see the glory of god again jeremiah Seek, inquire for, require, request the peace and the welfare. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Seek, inquire for, re- request the peace and the welfare, the shalom. Remember, that's so much more than just the absence of conflict, but it's the wholeness. It's the will of God being done in our community. To which I've caused you to be carried away captive toward Babylon. Who prays for Babylon? Who wants to see Babylon saved? Who prays for the peace of Babylon? Who prays for the shalom of Babylon? Babylon is our enemy. Why would we do this? So the Old Testament concept that God is this angry, wrathful God, yes, there is wrath of God revealed against sin, but you need to understand Jesus loves lost people. Jesus loves his enemies, and he calls us to do the work that he did. He says, seek this peace for the city I've caused you to be carried away captive to, and pray to the Lord for it, for in the welfare of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. In other words, if the city prospers, you will prosper. There's so much more than I have time to say to you this morning, but you'll find it all on our app. You'll find all of my notes on the app, and I hope you go to it. But let me give you three ways that you can be an answer to that prayer. Number one, be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Do not be satisfied with just coming and sitting on the pews. Do not just be satisfied with giving your offering and saying you've done your bit. Be sure that you raise your children to be passionate followers of Christ. As grandparents, be sure you influence your grandchildren to be passionate followers of Christ. Pull out all the stops because the coming of the Lord is imminent. We believe in the second coming of Christ. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ is to be a fully participating member of a local congregation somewhere. Secondly, be a good neighbor. And being a good neighbor is not just being a neighbor to one another in the church, but it's being a neighbor to the people who live next to you. In Galatians 6.10, we're told we should help people whenever we can, especially if they are followers of the Lord. How can I help my neighbors? For those who have been shut in with COVID, we've been able to buy groceries for them. For some, we were able to shovel sidewalks for them. For some, we were able to take care of their lawns for them. For others, we were able to get meals delivered to them. People who didn't even name the name of Jesus Christ, but this church stepped up to, and they blessed and they loved during this COVID crisis. Thirdly, give to the Christmas offering so that we can bless our world by investing in missions and compassion ministries and in evangelism and to those that are hurting in our families and in our neighborhoods and of course in our media ministries and next generation ministries here at the church. In Acts 11 and verse 29, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they can and then greet and embrace people with the love of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you ways that you can be an answer to this. A few years ago, I met a Muslim businessman in our community. We became friends. We hadn't had many conversations, but during the Christmas season, Asif came to me and wished me a Merry Christmas and just told me how much he loved Christmas, and I just stopped and said, Asif, you're Muslim. How is it that you wish me Merry Christmas? And he says, I love what it means and stands for for you. I want you to hear this little brief video that Asif, who owns several local businesses in our community, made for our church.
3: Hello, my name is Asif. And I have been living in this community for
0: over 30 years. And one of my fondest hopes for this community is that everybody that lives within it love
3: each other and support each other throughout the good and bad times that we face. As we know, we're living in some very difficult times,
0: and the only thing that will prevail is love and support. We have to get the hatred out of our community and out of our hearts for each other, for our community. It doesn't work. So I pray that God... Gives us all that sense of hope to really be there for each other and to love and support each other in this community. Thank you. Said in John chapter thirteen. And by the way, Osif is a very happy person. But he told me he said, "I was so nervous making this video, knowing you were going to show it at church." Jesus says, "Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples." Osif has a great love for this country and this community. As a teenage boy, he was scarred by violence in another nation. God sends the world. There are over a hundred languages spoken in our community that we call downriver. There are people from all over the world here. And Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus goes on to say, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Again? If the church loses that quality of penetrating and flavoring the community, how do you make it flavorful again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. You see, God has called us to work for the good of the community. So one of the principal questions I ask myself as I do my annual planning, as I do my annual preparation for ministry here As I do my annual planning for our family, Becky and I do, as I do my annual planning for all the ministries that are associated with our church... Is what am I doing that really is going to bless the community? Am I just going to work a job and build a house and take from the community the protections that the police and the fire department and the social care workers and others provide? And we can easily say, well, we pay them to do that. That's their job. Many people work at jobs simply because they love and care for their communities. Doctors work, nurses work, technicians work, garbage people work because we're grateful for what they do. What are you and I doing for the good of our community? Sue Trussell is the director of the Downriver Development Authority, and I asked Sue if she would take a moment, as she would speak to this about her hope for our community. This is Sue. Hi,
3: I'm Sue Trussell from the Brownstown Downtown Development Authority. My fondest hope for Brownstown Township is that we continue to work together to make our community a safe and happy place to live and work and that we continue to see the best in each other and appreciate the value that each of us brings to make Brownstown a place that we can be proud to call our home and that those visiting feel welcome. I see every day the hardworking people of this township and how much they care for each other. I hope that continues and that each and every one of them knows how much they are appreciated. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And then the next way that we can help our community is by being willing to share the good news. Being willing to share the good news. From time to time, I hear from people say, Pastor, I took a risk. I, I shared Jesus with someone. I said, what happened? They, just, they listened. Sometimes they'll say, they prayed They ask Jesus into their heart. Sometimes some people have said to me, Pastor, my whole life has been changed because I was always so afraid to share because I thought no one wanted to hear. But I meet people all the time. They want to hear the reason for the hope that we have. People in our community are looking for peace. Just recently a man came up and talked to me and he says... How do you have peace? He'd been watching us online, so he came to me and he says, how is it that you have peace? And I explained to him, the peace that we have is because of the conviction that we know that Jesus Christ is real and he's alive. He says, but how can you know that Jesus is real? And I told him, I said, maybe this will help you. I said, growing up, I hated coffee. As a young man, I hated coffee. The only coffee I ever had wasn't real coffee. It was called Maxwell House. It was called Folgers. And then I was invited to come to Columbia, and I preached in Columbia, and they offered me coffee, and I wouldn't take coffee because I don't like coffee. And he said, you got to drink the coffee. I said, no, I don't. I'm an American. I don't have to do anything else. I don't want to do. And he says, no, you have to drink the coffee because this is where their nation's pride is, in their coffee. Haven't you ever heard of Juan, the guy that rides the donkey? I drank real coffee. It was a religious experience. I had never tasted anything like this in my life. I instantly became addicted. I came home. I still couldn't drink. Maxwell House or Chase and Sanborn and then one day in Washington, I was preaching in Washington State, you and I were talking about and a friend comes up to me and says would you like a Starbucks? I said what is a Starbucks? He said I can't believe you've never had a Starbucks and he shared the good news of Starbucks with me, not just by telling me about Starbucks but offering me a drink of living, living coffee he offered me a drink of Starbucks and I tasted to Columbia all over again. It was like being born again. (laughs) You see, I had experienced the real thing. And I said, there's some things in life you cannot know until you cross the line because we can have, according to Romans 5, we can have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And then thirdly, we pray for the prosperity of our community. You know, Becky and I have lived here. Next month we'll be... 23 years ago, we accepted the call to this church. I didn't at first believe the board members about all the ups and downs they told me the economy would, I just never lived anywhere where the economy could be so volatile. But we have seen many ups and downs in the community. I've learned the value that I had never learned anywhere else before of doing what Jeremiah said to do, praying for the prosperity of our community because I've seen people lose their homes because they've lost their jobs. I've seen people's families uprooted and separated because in order to keep a job, they had to move some far, far, far across the country. I've seen some of the brightest talent of our community have to leave during those downturns in the economy. And so I find myself every single week praying for the prosperity of our community. This is Ron Henricks, he's the president of the Southwest Chamber, Southwest Regional Wayne County Chamber of Commerce. Listen to Ron's wise words this morning.
3: Hello, this is Ron Henricks, and I'm with the Southern Wayne County Regional Chamber. We're a nonprofit organization in the downriver community serving the businesses, job providers and entrepreneurs of our region. And there's so much to be concerned with. In the community, throughout the nation, throughout the world. But the Bible tells us that it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So with that promise, we can be fully confident in the expectation that the glory of God is in us. And I do want to share some scriptures with you today. Beginning with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's an amazing verse. And Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we act in faith, which is an action word according to our positive expectation that is the hope of glory in christ jesus have a wonderful day god bless you my friends isn't he one of those dapper looking men you've ever met before
0: (laughs) every time i'm around him i told him you look so vogue make me feel so vague he's just one of those guys that always stands out ron loves jesus I was in a conversation with a group of our community leaders, some from Wayne County, and I've been so grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. And so I just asked a question one time and it's never been answered like this to me before. I've asked this in other places, but I said, what is it that you perceive that the church can do best? And one of the leaders of our community said, I think if Woodland continues to do what it's doing, we couldn't ask for anything more because your church literally makes a difference in our community. When I heard those words, it made me so honored and proud once again to be your pastor. Because these comments are not about what I do, they're about what you do in the community. So let me encourage you quickly this morning, pray for the prosperity of our community. Pray for the safety of our community. And all of these are in the app if you want to look later. Pray for the politics of our community. But pray for the people of our community. There was a study done by the University of Pennsylvania in 2011 that took a look by a non-religious professor because he wondered about the church's tax-exempt status. What is it that a church really returns to the community? And what the University of Pennsylvania found out astounded them. Because you will not hear often the enemies of the church say anything good about the church. So let me tell you what one of those who is not a follower of Jesus Christ had to say. He said, purely in economic and financial terms... He says 80% of a church's operating budget brings positive good to the community. And he broke it all down in the way that that church is operating. Not its missions budget, not its evangelism budget, but its operating budget of how it blesses and impacts the community, the lives that it saves, the families that it saves, the jobs that it provides. And he just went through all of this and he said, I was absolutely stunned. Folks, that is a phenomenal factor produced by unbelievers who say the church returns 80% of its value to the community. I don't know if any other business can say that. I don't know if any other organization that can say that. It is because when the church is being what God has called us to be, We bring the hope and we bring the life of Jesus. And wherever Jesus goes, there is shalom. Wherever Jesus goes, there is healing. Wherever Jesus goes, there is peace. Wherever Jesus goes, there is welfare. Wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom of God is exalted and manifested. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So that leads me into what our message is going to be next week. In light of the Lord's return, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, a church that is doing the will of God while they wait for him, a church that lives in light of the coming and can't wait to see Jesus because they know the world is broken. But a church that will experience, as Deuteronomy 28 says, All these blessings, if you obey the Lord your God, your towns and your fields will be blessed. If the church is blessed, the community will be blessed. Can somebody say amen? And next week, we're going to look at how the church blesses the world. And for that, I want to introduce to you this morning a friend of mine who moved from Michigan to Georgia... And then became a missionary, and I left them right after they became missionaries. Becky and I did. We left Kurt and Stephanie, and we moved to Michigan. And I want you to know, I have never had so many invitations to watch a football game in my whole life. And so I asked Kurt, I says, Kurt, are you pulling for Michigan or are you pulling for Georgia in the Orange Bowl? And he goes, I'm pulling for Georgia. What a mighty man of God he is. Would you welcome our missionary to the Balkans, Kurt Plagenhoff, this morning? He's going to show a video first. In
4: 1992, I saw a video of believers being baptized in Albania in the Adriatic Sea and they were some of the first believers to be baptized in Albania for centuries. The communist government had just fallen in 1991. Albania was Muslim under the Ottoman Empire for 500 years and then after its independence a communist government took control and it was communist and atheist for 50 years it was the world's only officially atheist country but god's people around the world were praying praying that albania would open up it was the most closed isolated country in the world much like north korea today and so in response to people's prayers god caused the communist government to fall which brought democracy and freedom and the gospel so we came, studied the language in Tirana, the capital, for a year, prayed for God to direct us to an unreached city, cities with no churches, no believers, no missionaries. And so in 1996, we moved to Fuscuya. We began by sharing the gospel with people in their homes through visits and drinking coffee and reading the scripture this was the first time they'd ever heard the word of God, ever heard uh, from the Bible. We prayed with people, prayed for healing. And through that ministry, uh, one by one, God began to save Albanians. And the church of Jesus was born in fushkruja fushkruja Assembly of God. After planting that first church in fushkruja God began to speak to us as well as to our whole missionary team and national leadership team about starting a Bible school. So he led us back to Tirana. And so we've been training Albanian ministers, church planters, missionaries for the last 11 years, and God is doing a great work here. Our vision is to church plant all over Albania and then outside of Albania uh, to send out Albanian missionaries and so we are also working in Kosovo and Macedonia, Montenegro and Turkey. Montenegro is the most unreached country in Europe. There are only three churches and 120 to 150 believers. In Kosovo before the war in 1999 there were only 150 known believers and six evangelical churches. Today, there are 25 churches, 1,500 to 2,000 believers. Just a beginning, but a great start among the Albanian people of that nation. We have a church planting team in Skopje, the capital of Macedonia. And so they are planting the first Albanian church in Macedonia. And our goal is that every Albanian in the Balkans and then beyond have an opportunity to hear the gospel, to have a church planted in their community, in their language, and for them to be changed. So thank you for standing with us and all that you're doing to build the kingdom of God here in the Balkans and beyond. A lot of people around the world, like some of these that you saw on the video, are hearing the gospel for the first time, finding hope in Christ, and coming to know the Savior. And so I thank God for you, your commitment to him and his mission, your prayers, your generosity, Speed the Light, ministries like these that are helping us to share the good news around the world. Albania was the most closed country in the world until 1991, we've grown from zero church to over 200 churches, 62,000 decisions for Christ. That is the power of the gospel. We live in the Balkans. The Balkans is the, uh, praise the Lord. It's the least known, least represented, least reached area of Europe. Uh, You can see on the map, on the screen, the 10 countries that we are targeting, 42 million souls, over 99% without any witness of the gospel. Uh, Many of them have never met a true follower of Christ. To balkanize means to divide, and the history of the Balkans has been dominated by war and division, including genocide and ethnic cleansing. In Bosnia and Kosovo, if you remember those conflicts, we know only the gospel of Christ can bring healing, reconciliation, and salvation to the war-torn Balkans. And we're preaching that gospel. We've been serving in Albania and Western Balkans for 27 years, and now God has called us to expand the ministry to reach the whole of the Balkans. Balkan Reach is a pioneer new initiative to church plant among unreached people through teams. And God has put five priorities in our hearts, beginning with revival. We want to be a catalyst for a move of God in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a place that knows a lot about dead religion where there is very little faith. Evangelism. I'm asking God for a million souls. That is a big ask, way beyond our current reality, but we serve a big God. Please pray and ask the Lord with us for these souls. Apostolic teams from our training center in Tirana will send out called-equipped multinational teams to do pioneer work, church planting. We dream to plant hundreds of churches in places where they don't exist and to see church planting movements thrive throughout the Balkans, meaning churches that multiply themselves by planting other churches, and Holy Spirit empowerment. We've seen God do many miracles, send many visions and dreams to Muslim people and others through the years in Albania. We're believing him for supernatural signs all through the Balkans. I want to tell you the story of Gizim. He heard the gospel through a missionary in the early 90s in Albania, put his faith in Christ, his life was transformed. His wife, Ariana, and her Muslim family began to oppose him, and persecute him. They went through a difficult pregnancy. Ariana became terminally sick. Her family told Gazim, this is God's punishment against you for leaving your Muslim faith. The family was gathered in their home for her death. Gazim and the missionary came one day and prayed for her in the name of Jesus. And as they laid their hands on her and prayed, she said, I felt another hand from above come down on my bloated stomach and push it back into its normal position. And all of the sickness and disease flowed out of her body. She was instantly healed by the power of God in the name of Jesus. She then put her faith in Christ and she was completely saved. Today, this couple pastors a church in Duras, Albania, a thriving church reaching hundreds of Muslim people with the gospel and church planting in villages around their community. There are 3.1 billion people, mostly Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists, that live in the 1040 window, which I call the red zone, that are unreached. Meaning they have no pastors, no missionaries, no churches, no gospel, no access, no opportunity, no hope this Christmas to find Christ. The Balkans is the only part of Europe in the red zone. It's priority Frontier missions. I want to ask you to do three things. First, please pray. Get one of our prayer cards from me at our table in the foyer, pray for us, pray for workers to the Balkans, our greatest need. Pray for spiritual awakening in secular Europe. It's desperately needed. If you want to know more about Balkan Reach, contact us, sign up for a prayer team, fill out one of our connect cards, leave it on the table, or scan the QR code on the back of the brochure, and we would love to connect. Second, I ask you to give. We, in order to raise our budget and return to the field, we need 10 more partners uh, giving $100 a month. A gift of $5,000 will help launch a new church in the Balkans. Maybe someone could sow that seed of hope today. And finally, please go. God's calling. He's always calling. The question is, who is willing to answer that call to lose yourself, leave everything, and follow Christ? i pray that god will call some of you to the balkans and help us to reach them in jesus name thank you god bless you
0: thank you kurt we love you bud for those of you that are hunters there's not a more deadly aim than kurt's wife stephanie there have been times in my life when I felt manly, then there have been times in my life where I felt wimpy. I went shooting with them one time, and boy, a girl could shoot. Nobody's going to know Jesus unless you and I share Jesus with them. As I listen to Kurt tell the story of how this man was opposed, God answers prayer. The impossible happens. And when somebody asks you, how do you know it's real? Then you just have to be willing to tell them, you don't know until you experience. And this year at Christmas, I really believe the reason the Lord has laid this idea of hope is here is because as this COVID virus continues to serve, I have another funeral to preach tomorrow. We're back to that same state, especially with people that, that are, have some underlying health issues that we were a few months ago. And people need the Lord. Let me say it again. If that doesn't pierce your spirit, I really don't know what else will. They need the Lord. And the reason that unbelievers gravitate around you is not because they're trying to win you to the world, but because they see hope in your life, and they're hoping that maybe you will tell them. Zig Ziglar says, you don't have to be great to start, but you've got to start to be great. I love that quote. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start if you're going to be great. So this year, I'm asking you, invite someone to our Christmas Eve service. My message on Christmas Eve is hope was born this night. Invite somebody of a different ethnicity than yourself. Let's be a part of the healing of the racial. I have so many more videos that I couldn't share this morning. Learn to tell your story. Come to 401 with me and learn how to share your story. This week, pray for the persecuted church. And then volunteer for a ministry or a community service group. One of the men in our church is volunteering with a community service group. And almost weekly, I hear from them what they're doing to work for peace in our world. He brings the salt and light and love of Jesus Christ to that group. And already I'm hearing from them of what a blessing he is and the witness of his testimony. One of the men in his group that is not a, a believer said to me recently, he says... There's something different about that man. He's being salt. He's being light. He's giving his time. Give to the Christmas offering. And then I'm going to challenge you. Pray for your neighbors. If you can put up on the screen that little graph I made. If not, it's in the app. I just put a little tic-tac-toe square graph with your home in the middle where some of you start the game with your X's or your O's. But see what happens with an experiment in prayer this year as you begin to pray for one neighbor each week, each day. As you begin to pray for one neighbor, as you reach out to that one neighbor to try and touch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, come, let us adore him. O oh, come let us adore him oh come let us adore him christ the lord oh come let us adore him oh come let us Let us
3: adore
0: Him, Christ
3: the Lord.
0: Father, may we stand against the lie that the enemy has convinced so many of, that to flee the world means to flee our community. Jesus, help us to bring your hope to our neighborhood, to our apartment block, to our classroom, to our jobs. Lord, how can we love you if we don't love lost people? How can we say we love you if we can't love those we can see, the apostle asks us. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you will energize us for the hope of your return. Jesus, you're coming back. Lord, you're coming back for those that have put their faith and their trust in you. And in that new heaven and new earth, Lord, that new city coming down from above, There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. Oh, Jesus, I ask you this morning, make us a part of the solution. Make us a community of hope for the world and for Downriver, I pray. Now, while every head is bowed, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, this is a great morning to say jesus i believe in you i trust you i love you and you won't ever know it's like my first cup of good coffee until you experience it what people told me was coffee was not coffee what people may have told you about jesus is not true but if you will cross the line and put your faith in jesus christ today he will give you living water he will make you a brand new person. I promise you that according to God's word. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And if you'll email me at prayer at woodland.church, I'll be sure you get a package tomorrow. May, now, may the Lord bless you. May he make you the saltiest church in Downriver. May he make you the brightest and lightest church in all of Downriver. And may you go forth in peace and prosperity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Please be sure you meet Kurt at his table in the foyer today.